Hello and good evening, everyone. My name is Ethan LeCavalier-Kidney, and I'm delighted to be your host tonight for this virtual town hall meeting. Tonight, I'm joined by Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Services, Mike Ellis, and Minister of Justice, Tyler Shandro, and Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, Nicholas Milken. Before we hear from our speakers, let me start by explaining how a telephone town hall works. Right now, Albertans are answering their phones and connecting to this discussion. We will hear from the ministers shortly. After that, it will be your turn. You will have a chance to ask your questions and raise issues that you think are important to public safety and emergency services in Alberta. You can get in line to ask a question at any time by pressing star three on your phone keypad. You'll then be put through to an operator who will take down your question and put you in line. Here are a few things to keep in mind when you raise your hand to ask a question. When you press star three to ask your question, you'll be routed to an operator who will ask you to provide your name and community and who you're directing your question toward. Please try to keep your question as brief as possible. There are a lot of people on the line and we want to try and get to as many of your questions as we can. If you don't feel comfortable asking your question live, you can tell the operator that you'd like to have your question read out. Again, my name is Ethan LeCavalier-Kidney and I'm excited to be your moderator for this virtual town hall meeting with Ministers Ellis, Shandro, and Milliken. I'm here to keep this conversation moving smoothly and to make sure we get to hear your opinions and have as much discussion as possible. Before we, get, before we start getting to your questions, I would like to invite our speakers to say a few words. Minister Ellis? Well, thanks very much, Ethan. Uh, well, good evening, everyone. I am Mike Ellis, uh, the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Services, and I want to begin by uh, thanking all of you for uh, joining us on this event this evening. I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of questions to ask us, and I, I promise we're going to do our best to get through as many of them as possible, and that I'll uh, do uh, my best to answer them as candidly as I can. Uh, before we get into tonight's uh, Q&A portion, just let me briefly address some of the topics that I'm sure are top of mind for uh, most, if not all, Calgarians. I know that uh, an area of pressing concern is uh, perception and uh, feeling that Calgary's uh, streets and its uh, transit system have uh, become much more dangerous, uh, uh, much more dangerous place to navigate. Uh, this is unacceptable. Um, I've said that time and time again. Uh, no Albertan should uh, feel unsafe uh, doing something as simple as uh, taking a stroll in their own neighborhood, uh, going out shopping or riding a bus or a train to and from work or school. And while the province uh, defers to local police services, when it comes to the day-to-day -day operational decisions, uh, we're nevertheless making sure that the Calgary police have the resources and support that they need to effectively patrol the communities. For instance, uh, we're increasing funding to the Alberta Law Enforcement Response Teams, also known as ALERT, by $50 million to continue their investigations of serious crimes like uh, child exploitation, uh, gang violence, uh, drug trafficking, and gun crimes, and to use the intelligence that they gather to stop uh, violence before it actually happens. We recently announced uh, the creation of the Gang Suppression Unit and the Firearms Investigative Unit under ALERT, uh, putting gangs on notice that uh, illegal gun violence and crime will not be tolerated. We're also in the middle of uh, the three-month uh, pilot project uh, that has the Alberta Sheriff's patrolling downtown neighborhoods alongside members of the Calgary Police Service, uh, but this 
isn't just about putting more boots on the ground. We're also making significant investments in programs that address the root causes of crime and social disorder. That means uh, funding for addiction treatment, uh, detox, recovery spaces, funding for housing support, and funding to expand Alberta's uh, drug treatment core program. Addiction, homelessness, and mental health obviously uh, present enormous challenges to uh, cities and law enforcement bodies. And with the creation of the uh, Calgary uh, Public Safety and Community Response Task Force, our government is working to address these uh, social issues through a coordinated response between the province, uh, the city, and, of course, local partners. This is, uh, this is part of a paradigm shift that Alberta's government is undertaking uh, with police right across our province. Uh, no longer will police be seen as a strong arm of the government. It, Instead, it, it must be seen as an extension and actually a reflection of the community that they serve. Our time is limited tonight. I totally understand that, and we want to get to your questions. So I'm going to leave it right there and uh, turn it over to uh, our Justice Minister, uh, Tyler Shandro, to provide a few mar remarks. Uh, Tyler, the, the floor is yours. Well, thanks, Minister Ellis. And uh, as Minister Ellis pointed out, purpose is uh, to be able to have an opportunity to get uh, get to your questions, so I'll keep my opening remarks brief. Uh, just to set the table, though, for further discussion, I want to touch on a couple of things that um, I get asked about the most often. Uh, one big area of concern has been finding ways to minimize delays in the justice system, and we've been coming at this problem from several directions, and you only need to look at Budget 23. Um, uh, budget 2023 to to see the 658.5 million dollar investment that we're making into making sure that Albertans have timely and efficient access to the justice system. Uh, one particular item in the budget to draw your attention to is the 4.6 million dollars we're spending to hire more pre-charge assessment prosecutors. Now these are folks who work with law enforcement to take a look at the evidence, determine whether a case meets the standard for prosecution before the police end up laying the charge. That helps to ensure that viable cases uh, that are in the public interest enter into the court system. This isn't just a matter of procedural efficiency. And it means that folks don't have to shoulder the cost of hiring counsel or draw upon the limited resources of legal aid. Uh, it also spares folks from the needless loss of liberty while their case uh, wends its way to the courts. We're also supporting alternative paths through the justice system, such as drug treatment courts, which focus on accountability, rehabilitation, and allow folks to break the cycle of criminal behavior once and for all. The, uh, the new budget as well also gives us the capacity to take on additional articling students. Uh, there's a boost in funding for legal aid, a plan for improvements and upgrades to the court infrastructure, and increased staff at the provincial court as well as the Court of King's Bench. We're also investing in uh, technology such as video conferencing, digital adjournment services, just to be able to speed up the cases by allowing lawyers to handle more procedural uh, items remotely. We recognize that advances in technology mean that the court justice system no longer needs to be walled off within courthouses and kept behind doors. Instead, we're creating a justice system that lawyers, police, Albertans can access anytime, anywhere. And meanwhile, we've been working on uh, the national level to protect the rights of Albertans, fight for Ottawa to respect the interests of the province itself. Uh, my territorial and uh, provincial counterparts and I 
uh, met recently with the federal justice minister, as, lo- as well as uh, Minister Ellis and the other public safety ministers. And we told uh, the, the uh, federal justice minister to listen to Canadians, reform the criminal code, make it harder for violent offenders to be released on bail and to potentially commit more crimes in the community while out on release. And that campaign dovetails with changes we made to Crown prosecutors and their manual to require prosecutors to provide the court with accused uh, criminal records when speaking to bail. Um, Albertans need a, a government that will listen to them, use every available tool to fight on their behalf, uh, and that's exactly what we're doing. Looking forward to hearing your questions tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, Minister Milliken, over to you. Uh, thank you very much, Tyler. Uh, and of course, good evening, everyone. Uh, I'm Nick Milliken, uh, MLA, or sorry, Minister of Mental Health and Addiction. I'm obviously very pleased to be joining here uh, tonight uh, for tonight's telephone town hall. And of course, answer as many questions as I possibly can for you, uh, especially with regards to mental health and addiction issues. Uh, before I move into the questions, I just wanted to take a quick moment uh, and mention that the mental health and well-being of Albertans generally is not only a priority for me, but of this entire government. That's why we're making um, record-breaking, record-breaking investments in mental health supports and addiction treatment in order to support more Albertans in their pursuit of recovery. Budget 23 invests more than $275 million in Alberta's mental health and addiction budget, which is an increase of about 37% year over year and a very significant growth from 2019 where it was $87 million. This increase in funding provides the resources required to continue addressing the addiction crisis and further building recovery-oriented systems of care across the province. Budget 2023 prioritizes funding for addiction and mental health supports across the continuum of care, including prevention, intervention, treatment, and of course recovery. Specifically, a few to list out, 30 million for addiction prevention and intervention supports and services, 132 million for treatment and recovery, 30 million for services that reduce harm, and more than 45 million for child and youth mental health and recovery initiatives. Uh, When it comes to public safety and mental health and addiction, we are obviously working very closely together uh, to implement a fair, firm, and compassionate approach to addiction and mental health. Um, Fair uh, to the communities and the businesses uh, that face Uh, these issues every day, ensuring that the safety of Albertans is, of course, a a top priority, firm with the illness of addiction itself and the behaviours of people that are a danger to themselves and and others as a result of, in many cases, their drug use, and compassionate to the individuals who are struggling with mental health and addiction who require, of course, our care and support and uh, that in order to ensure that they can pursue recovery. So I look forward to uh, having the opportunity to answer any more questions uh, throughout this uh, evening. But for now, I'll just take the opportunity to uh, pass it over to the moderator, Ethan. Thank you, uh, Ministers Ellis, Chandra, and Milliken. For those of you just joining us, my name is Ethan LeCavalier-Kidney, and I'm your host for this evening's virtual town hall meeting. Joining me today are Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Services, Mike Ellis, Minister of Justice, Tyler Chandro, and Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, Nicholas Milliken. Tonight, we are talking about public safety and emergency services in Alberta. If you have a question for any of the speakers, just press star three on your phone now to enter the queue. Now, let's get to our first caller of the night. On the line, we have Larry from Sundry. Uh, Larry, uh, you are now live, and please go ahead with your question. Yes, good evening, sir. Uh, 
Um, glad to be on. I got a question for from Mr. Sandros. I would like to know what or how we can improve this justice system. I was assaulted. I was beat up uh, at Tim Hortons in Sundry. I lost all my upper plate. I can't get reimbursement. It costs $4,000 for uh, a plate. This is a estimate from the dentistry. And what I want to know is the man pled guilty. I'm sitting, I don't have $4,000. I'm sitting out on a limb with nothing. And yet I can't get reimbursed nothing. I've got to scrounge up $4,000 to try and get teeth. In the meantime, I'm eating like a, a pig out of a trough. And he's walking the streets clean, fair and square away he goes. And I'd like to know why this is happening. And I'm probably not the only one. Thank you, sir. Oh, you're not. Well, thank you so much, Larry. And, and no, you're not the only one. And um, if we think about it, our communities have become less safe in the last four years. There's been more and more incidents like what's happened to you, Larry, over the last four years. And if we think about it, it really ties back to changes that the federal government made to the criminal code in 2019. It was called C-75. They changed the criminal code to make it easier and easier. Uh, we admittedly do have a federal government right now that sees violent offenders, serious offenders, um, wanting them to be out in the communities and, and not being uh, in, in custody, serving time in a correctional facility. Um, look, the those who feel that they can go around victimizing their fellow Canadians with impunity, um, it's, it's, be, it's becoming an issue because there is a federal government right now who sees those violent offenders as being the, the real victims. The real victims are the Albertans who are, are hurt by, by those violent and serious offenders. We need to make sure in the province that we are funding our police services, that we're funding our prosecutors so that they can, um, you know, they can pursue, prosecute, and punish the bad guys uh, who did this. But the difficulty is that as much as we spend in uh, our prosecutors and our police services uh, through my ministry and, and through Mike's, uh, we can't spend our way out of a problem that Justin created. The the rules for whether you committed a crime, uh, how long your sentence is going to be, and whether you get bail, is uh, those are rules that are set by the federal government. So uh, we need to speak with one voice, uh, all of our communities throughout, not just Alberta, but working with our fellow provinces and making sure that the federal government sees that the changes they're making are making our communities less safe they need to see uh, that we need to uh, have these serious and violent offenders, these repeat offenders uh, in custody and not back out on the streets uh, hurting their fellow Canadians. So uh, thank you for your story. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Uh, I commit to you that we will continue to uh, advocate for Ottawa with our other provinces. This is not a partisan thing. BC, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, New Brunswick, they all agree with us. So I, I commit to working with those provinces and making sure that the Trudeau government sees us as a, an important um, important thing to address. So thank you for your story. Thank you, Minister. Uh, for our next caller, on the line we have Paul from Calgary. Uh, Paul, you are now live. Please go ahead with your question. Um, hello. Um, 
This is to whoever it is concerned, uh, whether or not it's the addiction minister or the um, um, public safety guy. Um, it seems to me that the Canadian government is too soft on these criminals. They 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 get they they get these this sympathy like oh you are addicted okay we'll help you. Meanwhile, you're able to sit there and kill and harm with no with absolutely full impunity. My question to you, two gentlemen. What are you willing to do about not letting these people be playing the victim and making them be accountable to their fuck-ups? Period. So, uh, thanks very much. It's uh, it's Mike Ellis here. Um, look, I think, first of all, let's differentiate the uh, folks who have the illness of addiction from those who are the gang members who are actually uh, preying on society uh, whether it be through gun uh, violence, whether it be through other forms of organized crime. And uh, I will let Mr. Uh, Milliken speak in a moment here, but I, I think it's important to know that, um, you know, I've taken a very, very much a, a zero tolerance level when it comes to uh, gangs and gang violence. Um, I made an announcement uh, not too, too long ago, investing uh, $4.4 million to have uh, our Alberta law enforcement uh, response team uh, work in collaboration with the uh, Calgary Police Services uh, gang suppression teams, um, and uh, because there's 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 th- it's not just that there's too much gun- guns and gang violence that's going on right now. It's just reached a intolerable, unacceptable level. There are families that uh, are unable to uh, go outside. There are um, I think in the, when I made the announcement there, I. R- told a story about a, a, a young child that uh, only by the grace of God that uh, did not get hit by a stray bullet. Um, this is the sort of stuff that is is not going to be tolerated. And uh, the message that I have been very clear with to gangs and gang members is that um, we are not going to tolerate this type of behavior in the province of Alberta. If you wish to uh, continue committing these crimes, you will be arrested. If the system chooses to let you out, uh, you will be, uh, and you continue to commit more crimes, you will be arrested again, and uh, you will keep being arrested until, up, and, up until the point you actually stop committing crime, stop victimizing Albertans, or you leave this province. But I'll let uh, Mr. Milliken touch on the stuff we're doing for the, the, the actual vulnerable people who have the illness of addiction. Uh, thanks, Mike, and uh, and thanks, Paul, for the question. Um, Mike kind of talked in my earlier comments when I was just uh, kind of getting introduced. I talked about uh, treating the addiction crisis both in kind of on on three front three front fronts: fair, firm, and compassionate. Mike basically just talked about the fair and the firm uh, idea there, but there's the compassionate aspect too. So, uh, as Mike alluded to, addiction is an illness; it's a disease, and we have to treat. It's like the healthcare issue that it is. So our government has been, um, as as fast as we can for the last four years, we've been building out a recovery-oriented system of care because we truly do believe that anybody who's in the throes of addiction uh, should have the availability of treatment and the opportunity to recover and lead a purposeful life. Um, if we go to when we first got in in 2019, we had a plan to build out another 4,000 treatment spaces to help these individuals. We actually better than doubled that. We're now up to 10,000 spaces, so that's 10,000 Albertans, some of the individuals that you referred to who are 
getting the treatment uh, available, made available to them. Um, a lot of the a lot of the individuals that you referred there to uh, as well uh, may not have significant financial means. And you, once upon a time, actually, when we came in, uh, individuals who were accessing uh, publicly funded uh, treatment spaces actually had to pay a user fee of forty bucks a day, and that was a pretty that was a huge barrier for individuals. If somebody's going to go for thirty or sixty days, that's that's twelve hundred. That's that's twenty four hundred bucks that they probably just simply don't have. So, of course, we got rid of that. We eliminated that. And then we've done, uh, I don't want to just take the whole mic or anything like that, but we're building out recovery communities. The new, uh, we had six on the books. The budget 2023 added three more. Um, we've done some pretty good stuff that I can talk about later with regards to VODP, Virtual Opioid Dependency Program, which is on demand. So a lot of these individuals, um, they can call. And literally that day, they can get access to OAT or uh, opioid agonist therapy uh, in order to start to stabilize and then uh, move, move in towards other aspects of the holistic recovery-oriented system of care that we're building out, such as treatment and recovery. Thank you, Ministers. Tonight, we are talking about public safety and emergency services in Alberta. If you have a question for any of these speakers, just press star 3 on your phone now to enter the queue. Our next question is from Bridget from Calgary. Uh, Bridget, you're now live. Please go ahead with your question. Yes, good evening. Um, this is regarding public transport. I have been taking public transport for many, many years, first going to work, and uh, later on when I was retired, I uh, got the seniors pass, and uh, I'm traveling lots on trains and buses, and um, I have noticed in the last few years safety has uh, deteriorated greatly and um, frankly now I'm scared to go on a train uh, maybe late in the afternoon, coming back maybe at 8 o'clock in the evening, it's not an option anymore. So um, my question is this, what is being done about transit, public transit and safety? Thank you. Yeah, Bridget, uh, Mike Ellis here. Thank you so much uh, for that question. I, I would say that that is um, one of the questions uh, facing Calgarians right now, and I would argue one of the, the questions facing Edmontonians right now, and that is that they do not feel safe uh, riding the trains, um, both in Calgary and Edmonton, but we'll talk specifically about Calgary here. Um, obviously, as a Calgarian who has a uh, you know, mother who rides uh, on the LRT system, uh, who has uh, kids who ride on the LRT system, and they've indicated to me that they don't feel safe riding the train. So um, there came a point in time where, uh, again, uh, no different than when I said enough is enough with the gang violence. I've had enough of the public and social disorder and the people in Calgary feeling unsafe riding the trains. I mean, this is why... Um, we started that 12-week pilot project to have the 12 Alberta sheriffs uh, go and patrol alongside CPS and um, beat officers. Um, it, you know, I went I went out with them, Bridget, not that long ago. Uh, certainly, I would just say this from the folks that I spoke to that were riding the trains. Uh, you know, they were very appreciative that the officers were out there, but I would make the argument that it's not enough. And I would say that um, from what I'm hearing, and, and, and you know, I would say, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is that most people in Calgary would like to see more. That officer presence 
makes a difference. Um, and on the rails, walking the beats, whatever the case may be. So um, I would just say this right now, um, especially especially since um, there are uh, three women who have just been hospitalized uh, in the uh, city of Calgary, uh, one with life-threatening injuries um, after uh, a fight actually at one of the LRT stations uh, in Calgary. I mean, this is sort of the sort of violence that is occurring right now that has to stop, must stop. And uh, you have not only my commitment, but you have the commitment of the Premier of Alberta that if if it means uh, putting a law enforcement officer riding every train uh, while it's operating, uh, you know what? Maybe that's something that we're going to have to do because um, we, you have, Bridget, you have rights as well. You have a right to ride that train safely. You have a right not to inhale secondhand crystal meth smoke. You have a right to make sure that you feel safe when you are going to and from wherever you need to go. And that's something that I take very, very seriously. And I would just say this right now, stay tuned. Um, there's going to be more actions can be taken. Thank you. Yeah, and just very briefly, thanks again for the question, Bridget, um, but it really does underscore our commitment to building out more treatment and recovery options for individuals. Plus, we've been doing a lot of work uh, with police and support workers through the PAC team, uh, supporting DOPE team. We've done some uh, investments uh, at the DI um, with regards to the dynamic overdose response team, which can be in the community. So we are definitely, uh, it underscores the importance uh, of the work in mental health and addiction for sure. Thank you, Ministers. Uh, our next question was submitted to us by Victor from Calgary, and I believe it's a question for Minister Shandro. Uh, Minister, the question is, how often do individuals commit new offenses after they've been released on bail? And he specifies, what I mean is, how urgent is this problem? Uh, and it was Victor who, who said that, Ethan, who wrote that? Yes. Well, thanks, Victor. Um, great question. And the answer is, is related to the answer I had before for Larry. Um, something's changed in the last four years. And with those changes that the federal government made in 2019 are now just being understood. So what we uh, are seeing in, in, in the province is that our police services are now working together to collect their data and look at how many uh, look at all the offenses that happened in a certain period of time before c75 and after and compare how many more people were out on release uh, after a crime was committed um, whether that's bail or some other type of, of release and then how many of those folks committed a new offense when they were on that release um, so we're in the middle of collecting that information with our police services um, i really am appreciative of the police services, including the, the RCMP, who want to work together to take a look at this information and provide government with a, a snapshot. And to some extent, they're going to have to get the help from uh, from our prosecutors as well. Um, but for us to get that information is really going to help us paint a picture for how how much 875 in 2019 really changed our communities, and to help us make evidence-based decisions to making sure that when decisions are made regarding bail or sentencing or any other type of conditional release, that there are decisions that are based on evidence and, and based on, um, on, on focusing on, on keeping our community safe. So um, we, we know that anecdotally there has been an increase 
um, and, and Edmonton has done some preliminary information that um, we think is concerning that we want to be able to provide with federal, to the federal government to help make the case that they really do need to, um, to take a look at this because the preliminary information that we have is, is that yes, it, it, is, it is urgent, uh, in particular for, for repeat offenders and uh, those who are accused of a serious crime. So thank you so much, Victor. Thank you, Minister. Uh, on the line we have, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, and I apologize if I'm not, B.B. Uh, from Calgary. Uh, B.B., you are now live. Please go ahead with your question. Oh, hi there. Good evening, everyone. My question was uh, about the little children that are suffering from mental health, like I had that you're talking about the adults on the street. And when they don't have proper um, facilities to facilitate them in the hospital, not enough rooms for them. And it's a scary thing that they might end up on the streets too if they don't have proper care. I have a special need grandchild that is really suffering with a lot of diagnosis. And when I go to the emergency room, I have to wait for a couple of days before they can have a room to uh, put him in there. And they don't even have a private room because if it's one-to-one, -one, they are not able to stay with other kids. So there's not enough facilities there to accommodate them and have proper care. Uh, hi, Phoebe. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's Nick Milliken here, uh, Minister of Mental Health and Addiction. Uh, and it's it's tough to hear uh, the story of your grandchild. I have a five and a two-year-old, um, so it really does underscore the importance of mental health supports uh, for youth. It's a, it was part of my mandate letter. It's a, it's a huge priority on the mandate letter of myself, the government, the premier. Um, and you're right. Uh, wait lists are too long, and we are doing we are building out the supports for individuals uh, likely that are just just like your grand grandchild. Um, just recently, actually, I know that there were I did an announcement actually uh, with regards to 92 million dollars in funding for Casa House and including a Casa House site uh, right in Calgary. So this is uh, an awesome partnership with uh, with a phenomenal uh, organization that treats complex mental health needs, including serious mental illness uh, of kids. Uh, also, they're building out uh, programs in schools as well, where they're actually providing classrooms with high acuity supports for kids that are really sick right there in the classroom. So opportunity to access uh, counselors, opportunities to even access psychiatrists. It's a huge uh, funding initiative. And I think that one of the main uh, reasons is because what we found when we when we when we came in in 2019 is that there's this huge there's a missing middle with regards to treatment availability for mental health supports for for children and youth. There's a lot of prevention. There's a lot of support at that low acuity um, where you're helping individuals you know get access through say 211 or kids helpline kids help phone. Um, and then when kids get really sick, and I've talked to people uh, across the province, I talked to one mother who explained the whole story of an experience with her, with her child, um, thank God now they're um, doing very well, but uh, so these, these stories obviously, they're, they're, it's a situation where as these kids that are high acuity, really sick, the only place that they seem to have to go is hospital rooms. And so that ends up also then putting pressure on AHS through that kind of stuff too. So what we're doing is we're building out the services and supports. Um, we've already got a program called Casa House uh, in Sherwood Park, so that's obviously not Calgary, but we're building out through Budget 2023. We're building out two more. Uh, one's going to be, I believe, in Grand 
Grand Prairie, um, and then the, the the one that's really pertinent to today uh, is going to be in Calgary. So it's opportunity to really help those kids. BB, uh, it's uh, it's Mike Elishar. I just want to supplement what Minister uh, Milliken said. I mean, really, the the key to this is creating capacity in the system. Um, you know, we're we're uh, trying to do that. Um, certainly, we started from a position in 2019 where there was, for the most part, uh, next to nothing regarding capacity within the system. Um, certainly, but let me just explain a, a few more, supplement a few of the other programs that Minister Milliken uh, was talking about. So we talked about CASA, which has the, the wonderful program, and they're creating these mental health classrooms. But we also have what is known as the Integrated School Support Program, which um, actually started in Calgary, and I think we're looking to expand, I think, to another area within Calgary and also throughout the province. But in that Integrated Support Program, this is about a holistic approach to dealing with kids uh, with um, um, whether it be mental health issues or, or whatever the challenges that they're facing. And that's that's where they have the police and the social workers. Uh, that's where they have um, um, uh, school uh, uh, food programs, uh, physical uh, fitness. It's really to provide a wraparound and holistic approach to helping those kids. And certainly the first one started in Calgary, and I know that we're looking at expanding that. We're also looking at uh, building, uh, although it's not it's not quite there yet, but certainly it's on the the the, the plans here, which are youth centers of excellence, and that's that's one of those things where we're going to have in Calgary and Edmonton, which obviously become a bit of hubs, but uh, really it's going to provide the opportunity for someone who may have um, a child that might be going through a mental health crisis uh, to be able to take that child and get the necessary medical help uh, that they need, and also do not. Do not forget about uh, YouthLink, the kids' help phone. And as Minister Milliken uh, touched on, 211, uh, you know, always say, when in doubt, just call 211. The folks there, uh, which are really operated by the United Way, do a fantastic job. They're actually trained in what they do, and they, they will guide you and get the necessary help for you and your family in regards to that. Thank you. Yeah, and I, there's a couple others that I just also have to mention. Uh, recently, uh, the Summit, which is a new youth uh, health center for children and youth, just opened its doors. I want to say it's it opened and started taking patients three Mondays ago, and it's about a $39 million. It's, it's, a, it's essentially a mental health hospital for, for kids and youth. Um, part of that aspect, too, is people can walk in and immediately get services uh, such as counseling. And then, of course, uh, Minister Alice Mike had mentioned the Youth Mental Health Hubs. That one also is uh, going to be run by an amazing provider called Kickstand. They're, um, it's, a kind of a, it's another name for the Mental Health Foundation of Alberta. Uh, they're an amazing uh, operator as well for this kind of a hub that we're building out in Calgary and across. There's several. There's actually 11 uh, across the province as well. Um, so another opportunity where they're going to get the opportunity for mental health support, substance counseling, uh, and, and the like. Thank you. Thank you, ministers. Our next uh, caller is Brenda from Calgary. Brenda, you're now live. Please go ahead with your question. Thank you. Um, Mr. Milliken, I was just uh, wondering, since you mentioned you were going to work on the prevention of, addish, of addiction, I was wondering what steps you would take to um, get success in that. And I also have another question um, uh, regarding mental health facilitator. Is I don't know if you use them um, going out to mental health calls, uh, but 
But I think that would be a great addition, and of course we don't want to put them in harm's way, but to to um, aid the police because you know they need that support, I believe. So yes. Thank you very much, uh, Brenda, for the question. Uh, yes, I mean, we're building out the recovery-oriented system of care. It's based on uh, prevention, intervention, treatment, and recovery. This is a holistic approach. There isn't just one sort of silver bullet that's going to manage to do it. With regards to immediate interventions, uh, with regards to addiction, I kind of alluded to it. It's an award-winning program that we've actually built out, first in Canada, virtual opioid dependency program. Basically, the long and the short of it is, is you can call and be connected with uh, an addictions assessment uh, 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 physician who can then literally that day get you on opioid agonist therapy, which uh, if you know some of the evidence on it, it's about 95% of individuals who are on that uh, can stabilize. But that's part of the whole broad system. So I really appreciate, I really appreciate the question. It really underscores also just how much we've been pushing forward financially, et cetera, on this. With regards to specific teams going out, we've partnered with um, well, there's in Edmonton, there's the help team. In Calgary, it's the PACT team. And uh, obviously, as well as the DOPE team, you can take a look at they're, – they're basically uh, police, especially uh, PACT would be police and uh, crisis service providers, and they would go out and, uh, and obviously – um, make sure that uh, whatever was happening with regards to the mental health issue was uh, as best dealt with. We've also got, with regards to police, because often police are the first person, the first individuals uh, to be called to a lot of these scenes. And so we've actually been building out, uh, uh, um, it's basically an app, it's called Health I Am, where it offers really good tools for officers, uh, including extra information, then of course local supports where individuals can go in order to make sure that they can get that recover, get that treatment that they need. Uh, thanks, Mr. Milken. I just want to supplement that uh, in <clears throat> talk about just that, that recovery-oriented system of care. And ladies and gentlemen, I, ju I just want you to understand you can substitute the word recovery for, as Minister Milliken, holistic human, um, you know, uh, wellness. But the point is, it's a system of care. There is no other place in North America that actually has a system of care right now where you enter into the system, uh, whether it be you know whether it be through law enforcement or some form of social service or whatever the case may be. But you enter in the system, you go on a journey of wellness and exit the system in a better place from which you started. And uh, you know I could probably give a two-hour uh, presentation on this. I promise you I won't. But regardless, the the point is is that uh, we've actually received uh, some international recognition for the work that we have done on the recovery-oriented system of care. Um, it is now known internationally as the Alberta model on trying to deal with um, the, uh, the opioid crisis, the addiction crisis, and quite frankly, the mental health crisis that uh, all over North America is facing right now. Thank you. Thanks, well, thank you. Sorry, Ethan. Can, can I just quickly just jump in there too? Just, just make a point about prevention as well. Because uh, I think the question was originally about that, we, we spend like 1.8, 1.9 billion dollars on on, on on mental health, uh, and and I think, it, and that includes addiction. I, I think a big part of it has to be making sure that we're because right now most of that money is spent on on the most intensive needs uh, for those patients who need it, and it's the smallest number of people. We do have to at some point start spending more of that money in prevention in the community. Rather than all the intervention, uh, in, uh, in, inter um, intensive interventions for those patients 
uh, and, and instead starting to spend more money on prevention and in the community. And, and it is something that, that yeah, Nick, your, your new ministry, as well as, as uh, ELF, is, is looking to, to try and invert that pyramid, I think, is the, the euphemism that they've used uh, for a couple of years. But that's a fantastic question, and it is being done. And uh, by by Nick's ministry, and and thank you, Nick, for all your work on that phone. Well, thank you, and thank you for that question. Uh, next, we have on the line uh, Michael from Calgary. Uh, Michael, you are now live. Please go ahead with your question. Yeah, thank you very much, and uh, thank you to the ministers for today. Uh, I guess uh, I've got uh, a couple of points uh, here, but the main question I have is for Minister uh, Ellis here regarding uh, the strategies. If you can talk about specifically strategies for preventing the distribution or the importation of um, chemicals that are being used for the opioids or the opioids themselves, we know there's some that are being imported from outside of Canada. I know cross-border issues, obviously, limited control. But can you speak to some of those specific strategies on how you're dealing with maybe gangs or other, you know, the cellular approach for the distribution of these opioids, how you're, you propose to sort of curtail that? Thanks so much for the question. That's a fantastic question. Um, so uh, a couple points on that. Um, so you may or may not know this, but uh, when I was uh, when I was in opposition, I actually had the first uh, bill in Canada to even address the opiate crisis. It was known as the Pill Press Bill. Um, so uh, it really banned or, or sorry restricted, should I say, the um, not only the import importation but the production of uh, a pill press machine. Um, really, uh, there was uh, no. Uh, nobody could articulate why they would need a pill press machine that could, uh, you know, press 20,000 pills an hour uh, in their possession. So it became a, a restricted item uh, that gave law enforcement a bit of a tool and a toolbox to deal with that. Uh, um, I would also further add that I uh, worked uh, with the federal government at that particular time uh, to restrict uh, some of the precursor drugs that, quite frankly, um, were just too easy to obtain. Um, a lot of folks don't know this, but um, this is why the drug dealers have um, really gravitated. And I don't mean, I don't mean low-level type drug dealers. I'm talking about organized crime. I'm talking about cartels. Um, you know, for for a twenty thousand dollar investment, um, you know, you could you could get your pill press bill, uh, or sorry, your pill press. Uh, you could get the precursor drugs, and you can get a kilo of uh, fentanyl shipped, right, all of that shipped right to your house. And that $20,000 investment could net you $5 million. And that's why it has become such a, such a, an industry. So, um, yeah, so where we, you heard me say earlier, we made this uh, huge investment in uh, gangs and uh, having alert work with the gang suppression teams in, in Calgary to really put a, you know, kind of, put a, a stop to this sort of organized crime. I would further add that um, um, with the wonderful folks that uh, in the Sheriff's Department um, who have an expertise in dealing with uh, commercial vehicles, um, we've tasked them uh, obviously through the Chief Sheriff uh, in ensuring that we're monitoring our borders, at least coming from the south. Um, you know, as much as Alert is doing to get the illegal importation of these drugs that are coming across the border, uh, sadly enough, there are still, 
you know, kilos and kilos and kilos of drugs that are being imported across our border. Um, the commercial uh, vehicle experts uh, that work for the sheriffs are, um, you know, well, they're, the fact is they're experts. Um, they have been doing a lot to kind of curtail some of that importation, working with the folks in alert. Um, but it's not easy. Um, and uh, you have my commitment, and you certainly have the commitment of the um, uh, the premier and certainly this entire government that, uh, again, we will take this holistic approach of dealing, of course, with those who have addictions problems, but we are not going to tolerate the illegal importation of these drugs that are killing people, and uh, we are going to do whatever it takes um, through the law enforcement community, whether it be Calgary, Edmonton, uh, RCMP, and the sheriffs, uh, to stop these organized uh, crime figures from preying on um, Albertans. Well, thank you, Minister. Uh, we'll take our next question here. On the line, we have Sam from Calgary. Sam, you are... Uh... Oh, I'm sorry. Apparently, this question was submitted online, um, and it's coming to you from Sam from Calgary, but I'm going to read it out here. Uh, and the question is for Minister Shandro. Uh, Minister, I've heard that there have been some changes about prosecutors in the province. Uh, and what is happening with that? Oh, uh, thanks, Ethan, for reading out his, uh, his question, and, and thanks so much for that. Uh, quite a bit has changed over the last year. Uh, we've been working closely with the uh, the association that represents our, our, our Crown prosecutors in the province, uh, hearing their concerns and addressing it. A um, big part of it is uh, equitable pay compared to what um, BC, Ontario, and the, the feds pay their prosecutors. Um, providing them with uh, the proper supports, increasing the number of positions we have in the province, going from 400 to 450 prosecutors in the province. Um, and through a lot of this work, reducing the vacancy rate of these positions, we actually have 55 more prosecutors working today than under the NDP. And that's because we've been listening to and working with the, the prosecutors uh, to get our, our vacancy rate down from, it's usually between 8 to 12 percent, hovers around 11. Right now it's down to 4.2 or 4.1. Um, so that's been a big part uh, of the changes over the last year. Uh, as I said, increasing the number of prosecutors. Um, as well, in Budget 23, as I said off the top, adding another 16 prosecutors who will be doing pre-charge assessment. And this is a, a project that worked really well in, in a pilot project we think that we'll be reducing the number of charges that enter into the criminal justice system by about 20%. That's going to be implemented province-wide by early 2024. Um, so another um, example of what we're doing to, to, uh, to change and, and work with the prosecutors to find new innovative ways to support them. And I uh, just want to thank all of uh, those, those folks throughout the province who are doing amazing work. We also want to find new ways to make sure that we're getting more and more prosecutors into our rural areas. And the articling program has been a fantastic way to do that. We've been adding new articling positions, and a lot of those being in a mid-sized or a rural uh, community, because when somebody's working in a rural community after a couple of years, want to stay there. And uh, so this has been a great program as well in making sure we're, we're filling in those vacancies in our rural areas. So 
lots lots happening, and we're really proud to uh, to be working with the prosecutors on all these files. So thank you. Well, thank you, Minister. Uh, everyone, tonight we are talking about public safety and emergency services in Alberta. If you have a question for any of the speakers, just press star three on your phone now to enter the queue. So we will take the next question here. On the line, we have Elvis from Calgary. Uh, Elvis, you are now live. Please go ahead with your question. Yeah, this Elvis. Um, I wanted to ask the uh, minister uh, about the measures that he, he has put in place to prevent addiction in Alberta, especially it's moving. But uh, I think uh, he has already expatiated on the uh, measures. He said he has some holistic uh, approach that he has put in place to check all these things. So I think I'm good with that. Thank you, Elvis, for the opportunity, uh, for the question. Um, as I've kind of talked about, obviously we're building out the recovery-oriented system of care. And so it's basically an opportunity for us to meet individuals at any point with regards to an addiction. And also, uh, I think I heard at the very top there that you were talking about perhaps some specifics with regards to prevention uh, as well. And so, I mean, if you listen to the if you if you listen to the radio, I know that we've got uh, a lot of radio ads going on with regards to some of the supports, such as even uh, the the VODP, which I mentioned before. I think part of this, though, is making sure that we can go into schools and really uh, have the opportunity to educate uh, kids with regards to uh, any of the dangers. And so, I think Mike already talked a bit about um, the integrated school support program, which was actually started in Calgary. And of course, that's the one that has wraparound supports, uh, including daily uh, education, access to mental health professionals, et cetera. Um, also, uh, if anybody ha has questions on uh, what might be available locally within their area too, I'd always just recommend them to just pick up the phone and call 211, even if it's on behalf of a friend. Because that's the one really, really key way we've been building out that program. I think the, the funding has been doubled under, uh, I believe, even in the, in the last. Uh, I'll double check that, but I think that it was actually just in budget 2023 that was just recently passed. And so that's an opportunity to really get uh, get some knowledge about what's locally available, where you can go. Um, also, then you know, if, if it if it has to do with you know preventing uh, individuals uh, from either entering into an addiction or continuing. I mean, any intervention that we have, any opportunity that we have to to point people towards the services that are available. I mean, this this can be. I can. Uh, it it happens where individuals are even uh, users and using uh, supervised con consumption sites, and then get information about where they need to go for potential for treatment. And then, of course, we've also been building out like this. This whole continuum of care goes from when somebody says that they're looking to to enter into treatment, they may be. Uh, then going into detox, and then there may still be, as as you know, we're building out treatment capacity as fast as we can, so there may still obviously be a wait list. So then it's about supporting stuff like pretreatment beds so that individuals don't relapse, and then getting into getting into the the actual residential treatment, uh, such as like the the recovery communities that I that I alluded to, uh, where we've got nine now under the newest uh, budget. And then just just so you know on that one too, like individuals who go into recovery communities, um, we've got one built in Red Deer. It's already going to be taking uh, clients, I believe, in the within the month. We've got Lethbridge and Gun. We've got Calgary, 
uh, on the books. Uh, we're looking for that one, probably going to have an announcement on that actually pretty soon. Same with Edmonton, same with Grand Prairie, same with Gunn. Uh, and individuals there, they can, they can essentially uh, stay there for free for, for up to a year. So they would get, you know, their detox, opioid agonist treatments. Uh, they'd get skills development. The whole goal is for participants who are in the program to actually not only leave drug-free, but also be employed uh, or in school or in training, et cetera. So uh, as kind of alluded to, even in your question, too, it's a holistic approach that we want to make sure that we can meet everybody no matter where they are and then help them move towards getting uh, treatment and recovery. Well, thank you, Minister. Uh, for our next question, on the line we have Brianne from Calgary. Uh, Brianne, you are now live. Please go ahead with your question. Hello, ministers. Um, first off, kudos for having a live conversation. Um, I wanted to ask about the funding announcements to police agencies to address gang challenges. Um, last year in June, we, we Albertans heard a funding announcement where Alberta was going to solely fund First Nations policing and the officer complement in Alberta. This being something I'm passionate about as a student, I've wrote several papers on this, uh, this press release, quoting the press release in several articles and interviews, also additionally noting the importance of this funding to address recidivism and root causes of crime, as we note the continued overrepresentation of Indigenous peoples as both victims and offenders in our justice system. I noticed recently that the press release from last June was actually a little bit changed to change the promise that was originally announced in June 2022. I'm wondering, given this adjusted promise, is the funding recently announced in relation to gang, um, addressing gang challenges, is this sustainable funding or is, is it in the budget or will this be another funding promise that's not exactly that was announced? No, it's, uh, sorry, it's Mike Ellis here. It's, uh, Brianne, it's a great question, first of all. First of all, it's in the budget um, and the work is uh, ongoing right now. Um, you know, one of the things uh, for me is uh, maybe some of you do not know this. I used to be a police officer in the city of Calgary. Uh, for me, it's always been about taking immediate action. So, um, look, public safety, uh, as far as I'm concerned, in the province of Alberta, does not have uh, a limit. Um, I want people to feel safe, and it has been made very clear to me uh, that uh, that they don't. Um, you talked about uh, a passion of yours, with is, which is our First Nations communities, our Indigenous communities. Absolutely, that is a passion of mine as well. Um, this is why um, you know we worked with the the Kainai of the Bloods uh, to put a uh, recovery center uh, on uh, on their land uh, so that uh, they can heal. You always hear me talk about holistic, or Minister Milliken talk about holistic. Is to understand that um, the the First Nations uh, communities, um, what they want is healing uh, for for their people. Um, I am going to ask Mr. Shandro to expand on this slightly when it comes from a, a public safety perspective, because uh, he started this uh, process uh, regarding uh, policing in in Alberta. Um, uh, we are in the process of working with Siksika Nation uh, to provide them. Um, and work with them so that they can have their own police service um, in in uh, in their community. Um, we've had a number of uh, police services, uh, or sorry, uh, First Nations communities. I think in the realm of five or six, if I'm not mistaken, that have also reached us, uh, reached out to us, wanting to go down a similar path. Uh, Siksika will be the first um, 
uh, jurisdiction, I think, in 14 years for First Nations communities to establish themselves as a own police service. And we're really hoping, uh, working with the federal government, that uh, this will be a role model for the rest of Canada. But I, I'd like to ask Mr. Shandro to expand on that part, if you don't mind, please. Oh, yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, so uh, the difficulty is, so our, our Indigenous communities fall under provincial policing because they're, they're usually smaller communities. Um, and, and that means if it falls under the, the provincial contract to the RCMP, we, we as Alberta pay 70%, the feds pay 30. If they have a self-administered police service in that indigenous community, that changes to us paying 48 and the feds paying 52. But the, the issue with sustainability is with Canada's, uh, it's called the FNIPP, the First Nations Inuit Policing Program. Uh, we've been promised for at least three or four years now by the federal government that they'd be fixing that program. We haven't seen that yet. And so a lot of, well, no, the the money is only on a year-to-year -year basis. So it makes it really difficult for any of those services to be able to plan out, for example, five years out. And there's other issues with equity, those officers not being paid the same as an RCMP officer, not allowed to have specialized teams. So um, with budget 23, with the, um, I think it's 65 million in Mike's budget to be able to, um, to, to deal with this, not just onboarding new indigenous uh, self-administered police services, but also taking the existing services that we have in the province and making sure they're sustainable. So the province coming to the table, hearing from the most chiefs of, of police, like uh, Chief Blake, Chief Cox, uh, to hear their issues they have with the federal government and the province stepping up and filling in the gap in the meantime until the Trudeau government want to take it seriously and come to the table and fix the FNIPP for these services. So uh, kudos to Mike for, for getting in, in Budget 23 uh, that increased uh, funding for Indigenous services because it's not just onboarding new services but also making sure that the existing ones um, are going to be sustainable. Thanks, Mike. Well, thank you, Ministers. Uh, our next question is coming to you from Jake from St. Albert. Uh, Jake, you are now live. Uh, please go ahead with your question. Hi, thank you. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, the question is for uh, <laughs> Minister Ellis. Yeah, I haven't heard one of those in a while. Eh? Um, the question for Minister Ellis. Um, I'm just curious, uh, two things. It's sort of a two-fold question. Um, number one, who sets the who sets funding and policing priorities for the RCMP, uh, like at the detachment level? And then also, I guess part of that, what is the connective tissue in policing that we're kind of trying to break uh, from Ottawa and keep for ourselves? Thank you for your time. That's all I got. Yeah. Um, well, thanks uh, very much, Jake. Um, I would just say this: the the RCMP. Um, have been certainly doing their best to work with uh, local uh, jurisdictions uh, in regarding uh, priorities, but certainly um, in the end, uh, unfortunately, um, you know they 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 do answer to to Ottawa. Um, but I, I you know I always give credit where credit is due. I will I will say that they they have been listening to the community, but certainly it wouldn't they do, it, it's not the same 
as if you had your own uh, police commission, as an example, uh, not unlike uh, the seven municipalities that currently have their own police commissions that can provide that, that real oversight and accountability in the same way. So let me just put that one um, aside. Um, in regards to um, the um, RCMP, um, I would just sit there and say that uh, those are fantastic uh, men and women. They certainly uh, do their best. What we're trying to do here in Alberta uh, is to empower the municipalities right now to ask them what uh, what they need and what is going to work best uh, for their communities. Um, we've had a, a really a, a plethora of, of um, responses. Um, we've had everything from some communities saying that we want an Alberta police service. We've had some say they like uh, their own municipal police service, uh, the regional approach, as I indicated to, to our previous caller. Um, we've had a number of First Nations communities that want to do their own uh, police service, and certainly we want to be as accommodating as possible and support as many as our communities uh, as we can. It's a, it's a very complex issue, and the only thing I would just further add to that is that in um, 2032, the, uh, the contract actually ends uh, with uh, the RCMP. Um, there's been a number of signal checks uh, by the federal government uh, through Public Safety Canada that they're really not interested in continuing the relationship uh, regarding contract policing. That is why British Columbia, Saskatchewan, um, New Brunswick, um, Nova Scotia are all looking at other options other than contract policing. Um, you know, it would be negligent on my part, uh, being kind of the, you know, Alberta, I would say, is last to the table on this if we didn't explore all options. Because, um, again, public safety and ensuring that uh, calls to service are answered to is the number one priority. And I always say this, especially as a former cop, um, I really don't care what the uniform is. And when somebody calls 911, um, I expect uh, somebody to show up. And so we've been trying to augment and support our current uh, RCMP through announcements I just recently made in regards to uh, the sheriffs. Uh, to ensure that they are fully trained so that they can attend calls and support the RCMP. But um, the reality the reality is it's a very complex issue. Uh, in, in uh, it, you know, what we're experiencing here in, in Alberta regarding the RCMP is no different than anywhere else in Canada right now. Uh, but, um, again, uh, I really thank you very much for that call. Mike and, and Ethan, if, if this is Tyler, if I could just jump in and a quick supplement to Mike's answer. Because uh, the question is about setting priorities, the the agreement that we have with Canada for for contracting out policing to the RCMP um, does allow for the province to say, hey, what are our priorities? But I just want to make this point: that's not accountability. We have no civilian oversight over the RCMP, over budget, or over the deployment of resources or setting policy. And I think sometimes because the agreement says, hey, but you guys get to say what your priorities are. Um, and some some folks do in the province get distracted by that and think, oh, well, we, we get to tell them what our priorities are. But the province being able to send the RCMP what their priorities are in a given year is, is not accountability. It's not, I mean, my, my kids get to tell me what their priorities are with our household budget, but that doesn't mean that I necessarily have to spend money in the ways that they've told me that are their priorities and I, I think what, what we need to do is make sure there's more than just sending a letter and advising what priorities are but having 
police services and police agencies in this country having true civilian oversight um, to, to be able to, at the end of the day, improve policing in our, in our country at the end of the day. And that, that's really the, the issue there with that, the setting priorities versus true accountability. Thanks, Ethan. Well, thank you, ministers. Uh, just a reminder for everyone uh, that tonight we are talking about public safety and emergency services in Alberta. And if you have any questions for any of the speakers, just press star three on your phone now to enter the queue. So our next question was submitted to us by Graham from Calgary, and I believe it's for Minister Shandro. Uh, and Graham's question is, Minister, I know many Albertans face long wait times to get answers about child and spousal supports in family courts. So what steps has the government taken to fix this? Oh, well, uh, that's a great question, uh, Graham, and, and thank you for that. Um, for the the first time in in, in I think years, uh, we, we've been um, in, through Budget 23 investing in um, in frontline services, and and as well uh, changing the uh, the guidelines for for those who are trying to access help at, at those front frontline services. Um, I think that's the first time in 20 years that those uh, those uh, income requirements have have been um, uh, looked at. Um, but trying to just make sure that there's more timely access um, in, in those frontline um, services that are available in the courthouse before something actually enters into the courtroom. Um, so very thankful that the Budget 23 is helping the Justice Ministry and the court system to, to be able to address that and having just, well, as well, 140 more clerks being able to to, to be hired over the next year, um, hiring more um hiring more but appointing more judges you've created over the last year seven new uh, judge positions uh, as as well as um, allowing uh, those who need to access legal aid um, making sure that legal aid is going to be there that it is funded and available for those who need access to justice so it's a, a multi-pronged approach to, to the, the question Graham but really appreciate uh, your concern there because you're right we did need to make these investments in Budget 23, and we're, we're pretty proud to have uh, gotten this across the line. So thank you. Well, thank you, Minister. On the line, we have Mark from Calgary. Uh, Mark, you are now live. Please go ahead with your question. Uh, good evening. Uh, Minister Ellis, I'm wondering how things are progressing in regards to the independent body you are going to form to address Police complaints. That's the question. Thanks, Mark. Uh, great question. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with the passing of uh, Bill Six, um, we know we're in the process of creating this uh, independent uh, police oversight. Uh, this is uh, something that um, you know I would say is is long overdue. Uh, I don't. It's not just that uh, I think that the public wanted it. Uh, the police services wanted it as well. Uh, to provide that, um, the only thing I can say right now, Mark, is that uh, you know the consulting with the uh, stakeholders in regards to um, uh, the regulations as to how this is going to progress and there's hiring. I mean, it's going to take a you know a, a couple of years to to get this uh, fully operational because we you know obviously we passed the legislation, but it, you know it's progressing, it's progressing uh, well. 
And uh, certainly we, we have the money in uh, budget 2023 to ensure that we get this up um, as soon as possible. Because I know uh, on both sides, whether it be the, the public, whether it be the law enforcement community, we all, we all want that to happen. So thanks for the question, Mark. Well, thank you, Minister. Uh, just a reminder to everyone that if you have any questions for any of the speakers tonight, just to press star three on your phone now to enter the queue. Uh, we'll take our next question. Uh, it is from Shane from Calgary, who submitted a question for Minister Milliken. Uh, and his question is, Minister, you've talked a lot about recovery communities. Will Calgary get one, and what do they do? Uh, thank you. I believe it was Shane who asked that. So thank you very much, uh, Shane. The short answer with regards to Cal with regards to Calgary uh, for for whether they're going to get a recovery community is yes. And there's probably actually going to be an announcement within next month on this. I expect we're working really really hard with uh, the city of Calgary uh, and obviously um, service providers and other stakeholders to to obviously uh, ensure that we can find the. the the best spot, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff. But recovery communities themselves, they're, they're a hugely important part of what we're doing in mental health and addiction with regards to this building out the recovery-oriented system of care. Um, we now have, prior to 20, budget 2023, we had six on the books at one stage of development um, or another. And then with budget 2023, we actually added three more. So once they're basically operational, and the one in Red Deer is, is the closest to being up and running. It should be up and running within a month. You could probably even just Google Red Deer Recovery Center uh, communities to, to get an idea. I know that there's been some reporting on it uh, throughout the last while by uh, even the Red Deer Advocate, et cetera. So, um, yeah, so they um, once all of them are built, that's going to be another 600 beds, holistic, they're long-term residential treatment beds like I said earlier clients can stay for up to a year uh, they're gonna have access to everything from detox to counseling etc everything that they can do to help them get back up on their feet the classic day of somebody would be well if somebody goes in it might be a situation where they're detoxing but then once they're through that they can be you know partnered in another room with another individual they're seven they're on average they're about 75 beds so you're gonna get partnered with another individual in a room um, that person may be at a different stage of their recovery than you so it op um, there's an opportunity for some mentorship etc but the community itself is based around making sure that you know meeting individuals where they are in their addiction and then ensuring that they have the the treatment and the services available to them so that they can really enter into recovery that also though means like recovery is a it's a lifelong process right so this is a is a good start with regards to you know being there potentially for a year half the mo half the day you're going to be you know in in therapy group etc uh, the other half of the day you're going to be doing stuff like learning life skills one of the things that I've seen from just meeting individuals who are in recovery is if like if I'm an individual who starts uh, down a train of addiction at, say, 16, and then I finally do find myself into a recovery community at, say, 22. There's other recovery um, treatment facilities. So I get into treatment and, you know, call it 22. I may not even be able to really cook, clean, anything along those lines, even make a bed, right? So uh, it's about really empowering people so that when they are leaving the, the recovery community, um, that they hopefully at least not only are off drugs, but they will uh, have, whether it's, you know, entered into some sort of potential for employment, school, 
training, things of that nature. So, and, and just to tell you about the recovery community as well, a little bit. This isn't. This is new to Alberta, but it's not new to the world. These are. It's evidence based. It's being used in 65 plus communities. Uh, sorry, countries around the world. Uh, it's. It's got evidence based uh, data to show that it is uh, an effective means of treatment, especially for participants who basically enter in with very severe issues. So, uh, it's good to. Uh, it, it's a situation where now that we've got nine, I think that the capital expenditure on that is 200 million. It's literally we are trying to ensure that uh, the the treatment space, spaces that we have for individuals to enter, enter into treatment, and um, this isn't even a partisan comment, but historically governments have essentially, I say, woefully underfunded the treatment and recovery spaces, and so we're having to pick up that slack. And so we've been, you know, ever since we got in, we've had this plan to build through, or about four years through an eight-year plan with regards to making sure that they're up and running, everything's uh, available to individuals. Um, and so with that, then I would just say a very quick thing. Uh, thank you to, obviously, Associate Minister uh, Luan and Associate Minister Ellis, who I have the pleasure of being here with today, uh, for their good work on this file before we uh, pulled it out and made it a full ministry uh, for uh, under this uh, new uh, government with the new Premier. Thanks. Well, thank you, Minister. Um, just giving everyone a heads up that we are coming close to the end of our conversation. So if you have an important question... Now is the time to press star three on your phone to get your question into the queue. Our next question was submitted to us by Eric from Airdrie, and Eric's question is for Minister Ellis. Minister, what are the recent investments for additional sheriffs and police officers in rural Alberta? Yeah, Eric, thanks very much for your great question. Um, I made that announcement uh, very recently. Um, and as I alluded to earlier in one of my previous comments, this is about um, supplementing and augmenting our current policing model. Um, uh, the sheriffs, um, obviously, you know, they're, you know, one of the things, they, they look like a police officer, act like a police officer. My expectation is that you are a police officer. They certainly do high patrol. They do court and prisoner security. Uh, they certainly protect, uh, they do uh, prisoner transportation as an example. Uh, and uh, as they're out there on the highways, and I'll use that one as an example, uh, doing, um, uh, you know, doing highway patrol, um, they're out there. And, um, you know, the RCMP uh, have been, uh, for the most part, again, as I've alluded to, not just in Alberta, but right across Canada, have been stretched very thin. Um, as I indicated earlier as well, I don't care what the uniform is. Uh, when somebody calls 911, my expectation is that uh, somebody show up uh, to that call. And uh, the sheriffs, if they happen to be close by, uh, my expectation is that once they are fully trained, as fully trained uh, police officers, that they augment and support uh, the RCMP and they go and they attend that call to service. Obviously, um, you know, the primary uh, work and the paperwork and all that sort of stuff uh, regarding the call to service itself will be done by the RCMP as the current policing model. But again, this is just all about supporting and augmenting the the, RC, the RCMP and the current policing model that we have right now. Um, I will say one of the things that we had done, um, at least over the last year, is we've allowed sheriffs uh, to do impaired driving, as an example, again, w with the um, ability to, uh, again, augment and support the calls to service. And I think uh, in the last year, we've uh, they've been able to take 2,200 impaired drivers uh, off the road. Uh, under the, we'll say, uh, previous policy, um, if, a, if a sheriff had come across a 
um, impaired driver, they had to wait for that RCMP officer to come and essentially do do the file. Um, that was completely uh, inefficient. Um, and uh, as a former certified breath tech for the province of Alberta myself, I can tell you that you know once you stop that individual, the clock starts, and it was really putting a lot of cases in jeopardy. So uh, kudos to uh, previous ministers um, in, in this government to uh, allow uh, the sheriffs to do the impaired driving. Again, 2,200 uh, sheriffs, or sorry, 2,200 uh, impaired drivers were taken off the road uh, as a result of it. But again, to simply answer your question, it's just about augmenting and supporting uh, the RCMP to make sure that calls to service within uh, Alberta are being answered in a, in a timely manner. Thank you. Well, thank you, Minister. Uh, on the line next, we have Wayne from Diamond Valley. Uh, Wayne, you are now live. Please go ahead with your question. Yeah, I had two questions. Uh, one was uh, in regard to the RCMP and why we were pursuing changing them out, but you've just answered that a couple of questions back. And my second question was, uh, what is the government's plan to help out with the uh, violence on public transportation in the cities? Yeah, Wayne, uh, thanks very much. Um, you're right, I, I did answer that one uh, regarding the, the RCMP, and I certainly explained that we're just trying to empower municipalities right now. And, you know, again, it's ne negligent on my part uh, or any government's part, quite frankly, if we're not preparing uh, for um, what uh, Public Safety Canada may or may not do. Um, in regards to uh, public transit, I'm going to say this again. Uh, this is uh, absolutely top of mind for uh, Calgarians right now. Uh, the violence that we are seeing uh, on the, the transit, uh, the countless stories that I continuously hear about whether it be stabbings, uh, whether it be some form of violence, uh, this is absolutely unacceptable. And um, if, it, if, it, if it means, quite frankly, uh, putting uh, police officers on the LRT platforms, if it means putting uh, police officers on, on the trains themselves to curtail this violence, to uh, curtail um, the civil and social disorder, uh, to ensure that the people of Calgary feel safe on the trains while riding uh, public transportation, uh, make no mistake, uh, we're going to be working uh, with the Calgary Police Service or any law enforcement uh, agency to ensure that people feel safe within the community. And make no mistake, the Alberta government, I mean, not only uh, not only um, is the ministry and, and myself responsible for public safety regarding everyone uh, in in Alberta, but uh, the, the provincial government is making e enormous uh, amounts of investment uh, into the transit system within Calgary, enormous investment within the transit system within Edmonton, and uh, and uh, you know certainly we're not doing this uh, to enable and support uh, people feeling unsafe on the trains. So. Uh, we're going to do, uh, as, as the Premier Smith and I have indicated very publicly, we are going to do whatever it takes to ensure that people can ride the transit system safely, and, um, and we're going to stick by that. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. Our next question was submitted to us by Lucy from Calgary, and it's a question for Minister Ellis. Uh, Lucy asks, can someone please explain what is being done to combat human trafficking? Well, thanks, Lucy. Um, so certainly, um, we're, we're we're doing a lot. Um, we're we've um, 
uh, we've been working very uh, closely. We I think we've created a new. Um, you got to forgive me here. I I got to go to my notes here, but we've. Uh, Sorry, Lucy. Thanks very much. I apologize for that. Um, yeah, so we have. Uh, yeah, you know, thanks, thanks, Tyler. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I'll let you supplement this. But the, what I wanted to get to, and this is what I was looking for, was establishing the Alberta Office to Combat Trafficking uh, is the center of excellence. Uh, look, first of all, let me just say this, and I will have Mr. Shandro supplement this. Uh, human trafficking, whether it be uh, sex or whether it be through labor, is completely unacceptable. We're certainly making sure that our commercial vehicle operators uh, with um, the Sheriff's Department are, are, are making sure that, uh, you know, not only are we monitoring the drugs coming across the border, but also um, the uh, human trafficking, as well as the illegal guns coming across the border. But this this new uh, um, center of excellence is going to be a game changer, not just here in Alberta, but for the rest of Canada. But I'd love Minister Chandra to supplement that, please. Well, thanks, Minister Ellis, uh, and thanks, Lucy. The uh, it started by taking the uh, the task force. We had a, a human trafficking task force. Uh, amazing Albertans who went out into the community and investigated and provided us with a number of recommendations. Um, and uh, we ended up accepting all but one. It was one related to organ donations, um, but the rest of the recommendations we ended up accepting, including, as, as Mike just mentioned, that uh, center of excellence. And uh, a big part of the ask or the recommendations of the, the task force was for us to not just make this a, a center of excellence within government, but make it a partnership with community and using those community organizations who have that expertise right now in combating the the trafficking of persons. Um, and so the just having that, that really good relationship with those organizations in the community um, and uh, and with our First Nations, because we know that disproportionately many of the victims of uh, trafficking in persons are Indigenous women. Um, so working with those Indigenous communities and having uh, an approach that is in, included in, in uh, addressing um, those vulnerable communities is really important. All that started off with an additional $10 million in Budget 22, which now is included as well in uh, Mike's budget for his new ministry here in Budget 23. So uh, thanks for Mike to Mike for, for getting that, that uh, additional money and continuing, not just in, in Budget 22, but also in Budget 23 and, and onwards for that and all the other recommendations to, to be implemented. Uh, thank you, Minister. Our next question was submitted to us by uh, Yolanda from Calgary, and it's a question for Minister Ellis. Uh, Minister, what is being done regarding hate-motivated crime as it seems to be escalating? Yolanda, great question. Uh, let me just start off by saying that uh, hate crimes, hate-motivated crimes, are not going to be tolerated, nor should they ever be tolerated. Um, let me just say this, is that um, you know we want to make sure that uh, vulnerable, uh, vulnerable Albertans, or just Albertans in general, should I say, can live and worship uh, freely and, and safely. And this is why the government actually doubled the funding for the what is known as the ASIP grant, the uh, um, Alberta S uh, Security Infrastructure Program grant. And I think we doubled it to $5 million a year. 
Um, we've had uh, a, a number of uh, organizations, uh, whether it be you know, churches, uh, mosques, uh, synagogues, uh, whatever the organization uh, might be, uh, apply for these grants to provide uh, safety and security measures uh, to make sure that there are uh, safe places uh, for people to to live and worship. Uh, let me also just add is that uh, we actually have a coordinated unit called the uh, Hate Crimes Coordination Unit. And, uh, and just, again, as a former Calgary Police Service member, uh, we also, in the Calgary Police Service, although I'm not a member anymore, I always remember that, um, we actually have a hate, coordinate, uh, hate coordination unit as well, but there's a provincial one as well. And what we do here is uh, all files, uh, whether it be in Calgary or whether it be in uh, the province of Alberta, are reviewed uh, to make sure that, uh, um, you know, if a file comes across as being hate-motivated or biased, uh, in any way that is actually being addressed appropriately. So we take these sort of uh, crimes uh, very ser seriously. Um, they are not to be tolerated. And again, we will do whatever it, case, uh, whatever it takes to stop hate within the province of Alberta. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. So our last question of the night is coming to you from Lawrence from Calgary. Lawrence, you are now live. Please go ahead with your question. I was just wondering, what is uh, being done to make mental health care more affordable for the average person? I was like, I went to a few sessions, and sessions were roughly $180 a session. Hey, thanks. Uh, it's uh, Nick Milliken here. Uh, thank you very much for the question. And I, I actually really appreciate the question because uh, often when I get into uh, situations like this, where we're, where, where we're having candid discussions about this, this ministry, mental health and addiction, a lot of people really focus on addiction. Um, and so to, to give a strict question on just mental health and the supports that we're doing as a government, I really do appreciate the opportunity. Like, obviously, I can start from the high-level stuff, whether it's, you know, adding significantly more budget to ensure that the access uh, and treatment available is there for individuals who are experiencing mental health issues. Um, one of the things that uh, our government did that uh, we're really proud of uh, has to do with um, Counseling Alberta. So this is one that's basically an opportunity. We obviously saw that there were that there were issues with regards to individuals uh, getting uh, the counseling opportunities that they need. And so through Counseling Alberta and then also through Calgary Cancer, uh, Counseling Center, uh, they've increased access to make it more affordable. So I would say check with Calgary Counseling Center. You can go online and just um, go to their website. Um, but yeah, that's now a, that's not only just Calgary. That's actually uh, available both in person and virtually wherever wherever possible to ensure that this is something that we can do for individuals across the province. Um, also, I mean, when you talk about mental health issues, a lot of the time, I think what is it, well, significantly what will end up happening is individuals will have first uh, issues with regards to uh, mental health issues at an early age. Before the age of 24 and often in their teens, I've talked to many individuals uh, who I'm thinking of one uh, lady now uh, who was 14 when she had her first psychotic episode and then ended up in the CASA program that I kind of uh, referred to uh, earlier. Um, but, uh, but, you know, with regards to, say, taking Calgary, um, 
we obviously are, you know, helping to fund, helping with funding anyways, with many, many community-based organizations in the area. I would even take the opportunity to give a shout-out to a few. Um, Calgary Silver Linings Foundation, the ARC Adolescent Recovery Center, the Dean Strong Foundation, the Calgary Beyond the Blue uh, Association. I actually recently just went and toured uh, both the Alex and Cups, both um, awesome uh, opportunities for individuals who are experiencing uh, issues, whether it's physical or mental health, to then basically have walk-in services as well. So there's a, there's a ton that we're doing on this. Um, that, that list that I just did is a very small portion of the list. It's over 200 organizations. I would also say, uh, again, and I start with this often, it's call 211. That's the best way to get the, uh, the local services that are directed to the local services that are available, especially with regards to underserved populations or individuals who may have uh, financial issues on it as well. So um, we are Absolutely, if anything, like we got, I would say, elected to increase the access for Albertans, to ensure that every Albertan has that opportunity to pursue recovery from mental health challenges. And so these increases um, that I talked about uh, really showcase or underscore the fact that we're taking this um, very, very seriously because we know that everybody, no matter who you are in the province, you deserve to have that opportunity to, to get the treatment that you need and then uh, have, have, the, have the opportunity to enter into a life of recovery, however that looks especially with regards to on the mental health side, that can be a variety of things. Um, but uh, the, the goal is to ensure that it's not about your socioeconomic status or anything like that. It's about making sure that the services are available. And again, I would just say just recently too, because a lot of the, like I said, a lot of this stuff starts with kids. Um, you know, we uh, just recently announced the opening of uh, the summit, which is the youth, Child and Youth Center for Mental Health. Um, our, our government uh, has committed to, I believe, $10 million in operational funding on that going forward. Um, but again, that's not just us. It was also a really, really good, uh, or it was a really, really good project that was put together by the Children's Hospital as well. I think they raised $50 million um, for a $39 million and then also a, a whole bunch of research, et cetera. So thank you very much for that. So 211 is definitely what I would say, go there first. Thank you, Minister. Uh, there have been so many great questions and uh, lots of great conversation tonight. Uh, Minister Ellis, would you like to share some closing comments? Yeah, thanks, Ethan. Uh, certainly on behalf of uh, Minister Shandro, uh, Minister Milliken, um, wow, thanks thanks very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, 11,422 of you were online uh, today listening to this. So obviously public safety, justice, uh, mental health and addictions is uh, near and dear to everyone's hearts, uh, as it is uh, for all of us. Um, we had some great questions, some great takeaways. Um, um, uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, as I indicated to one of the callers tonight, uh, stay tuned. Uh, I have heard loud and clear from the citizens of Calgary uh, that uh, they want something done regarding the safety of uh, people on the transit system, um, and uh, you will see an announcement uh, forthcoming in regards to that, uh, on top, of course, the work that we've already done. Uh, none of this is easy. It is all very uh, complex. There's never a silver uh, bullet solution to any of this stuff, but rest assured that uh, uh, this government uh, is committed to ensuring that we have a balance, uh, that we have uh, public safety needs that are being addressed for citizens, as well as ensuring that we're taking care of uh, the vulnerable people uh, who are afflicted with the illness of addiction and mental health issues. So thank you very much, and good night. Well, thank you, ministers, and thank you for organizing this town hall. And of course, thank you to all the people who chose to spend the last 90 minutes 
listening and asking great questions about public safety in our province. Thank you and good night.